This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, I'm Grace Ho, Insight Editor for The Straits Times. You're listening to In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times that takes a hard look at social and political issues of the day. Earlier this year, the admission by three national swimmers that they had consumed controlled drugs, in particular cannabis, while abroad, sent shockwaves through the sporting community in Singapore. Commonwealth Games silver medalist Tiong Zhenwei and two other national teammates, Olympic champion Joseph Schooling and Amanda Lim, were issued letters of warning. Sport Singapore also suspended its support for a month, meaning that they would not receive training assistance grants or have access to sports science and sports medicine facilities and services during this period of time. Here to help me make sense of the case and what the law says about it is Associate Professor of Law at the Singapore Management University, Eugene Tan. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Grace. Now, Prof, some of our listeners may not be familiar with the laws that govern the consumption of controlled drugs in Singapore or overseas. What most of us would know from watching or reading the news is that one of the swimmers was given a stern warning by CNB under the Misuse of Drugs Act and that she was in possession of a drug utensil. So what exactly is the law? And does it apply to Singaporeans who consume drugs overseas or only in Singapore? Yeah, I think this case has certainly raised a lot of questions about you know the reach of uh, the Misuse of Drugs Act, the MDA. I think one should bear in mind that the MDA has extraterritorial reach. And what do I mean by that? It just means that the law uh, would apply to acts that were committed outside of Singapore. Those acts would be treated as though they were committed in Singapore. And this extraterritorial reach only applies to Singapore citizens and Singapore permanent residents. You can have a variety of extraterritorial laws, you know, that could apply to all and sundry. So, for example, if you think about the U.S. Foreign Corruption Practice, FCPA, they too would cover, um, you know, not just uh, American citizens or green card holders, but also anyone in, in the world. Uh, so, there are different types of extraterritorial reach. And I think when you think about the need for extraterritoriality, I think it's essential. Right? It is essential because we can have a situation where, you know, it is all right to consume drugs abroad, uh, so long as you don't do so uh, in, in Singapore. And and given the ease of travel, uh, given that we come from a region where drugs are generally plentiful, I think that would be a severe gap in the Misuse of Drugs Act. So. That is why, you know, when you look at the, the three national swimmers, um, you know, the, the, the fact that they consume drugs abroad, you know, they technically came within the ambit of the MDA, right? Because the acts were treated as though they were committed in Singapore. And about possession of uh, drug paraphernalia, that is also covered in the MDA. Uh, so which means that if you have uh, utensils, you know, such as pipes, syringes, other receptacles that are used, you know, for the process of administering or consuming controlled drugs. This too would put you within the ambit, you know, of the MDA. And it works from a simple principle, right? If you're not consuming drugs, why would you have those utensils? Mm. Well, here's where I get a bit confused. 
So Sport SG said on October 7th that it had considered, among other things, the standards of international bodies such as the World Anti-Doping Agency or I would call WADA uh, on cannabis. And Sport SG also explained that WADA does not impose any sanctions for the consumption or use of cannabis, cocaine, heroin and ecstasy outside of competition. So here it is. On one hand, I understand conceptually why we want to reference international standards. On the other hand, why would Sport SG take dressing from an international body such as WADA if WADA's position on drug consumption is so different from Singapore's? Yeah, so so that's certainly a, a legitimate area of concern. You know, so I think if we look at Sport SG, you know, they were trying to take reference or perhaps uh, you know benchmark themselves, right? Because I think this is the first time. Uh, such a, an incident has arisen, right? And so the question of what sort of sanctions would be appropriate, uh, they would have to look at some of the, if there were no uh, local precedents, right, then they may have to look at what international benchmarks are. And, and here clearly WADA comes into play. But I think the unfortunate thing is that, you know, WADA rules are quite different from Singapore's uh, Misuse of Drugs Act. Uh, to put it simply, uh, if you were to break a law under the MDA, you need not necessarily breach WADA rules. But if you breach WADA rules, it is almost certain right, that you would also have committed an offence under Singapore's MDA. Right? So you have this divergence, uh, this disconnect. And, and so what I think raises concern right, is why did Sport SG uh, you know, decided to take reference, uh, you know, from, from WADA rules. You know, why not take reference, um, you know, from Singapore laws and Singapore norms with regard to drug abuse? Uh, so I think that's something which, you know, this particular incident uh, has thrown up. And I hope, you know, it will generate uh, further thought, you know, about how we can deal, you know, with the fact that uh, WADA rules and our MDA are not only inconsistent to some extent with each other, uh, but that they are also, uh, I think in the years ahead, going to diverge even even more from each other. So from a public messaging standpoint, speaking of that divergence, you know, perhaps it might have been a bit clearer to simply not reference WADA if it's not that relevant. I think if I had my way, yes, I would say so, right? You know, because technically... Under WADA rules, you know, those athletes cannot be sanctioned at all because they consume cannabis outside of competition. And under WADA rules, WADA doesn't test for these drugs, you know, including harder substances like cocaine and heroin outside of competition. But of course, you know, we must be clear that Sport SG was sanctioning them for breach of the athlete agreement that these athletes have with Sport SG. And, and of course, you know, the conduct of, of the athlete uh, and in here, you know, consuming prohibited substances, you know, would go against, um, you know, that athlete agreement. But I think it still raises that question of was too much weight placed on, on WADA uh, rules and sanctions? And you wrote in an op-ed that in recent years, WADA has received stakeholders' requests for cannabis, specifically THC, the main psychoactive compound in cannabis, to be taken off its prohibited substances and methods list. Can you briefly take us through some of the evolutions in WADA's approach towards drugs over time? Certainly. You know, I think, Grace, when we look at 
you know, the, the evolution of WADA rules. I, I think it, they, in many ways, reflect the development in many parts of the world where there is this distinction drawn between so-called soft or recreational drugs and hard drugs. Uh, and in many parts of the world, or, or certainly in, in countries which have decriminalized the use of cannabis, um, you know, they see it as a soft drug, a recreational drug, you know, that it shouldn't be treated in the same category as cocaine or heroin. Uh, and so when you look at the evolution of their rules, you know, you know, they have in that sense, you know, reflect a more liberal, or I would put it a more lax approach, you know, towards cannabis. You know, so take for example, cannabis is allowed even in in competition, so long as it doesn't exceed, uh, you know, a certain threshold um, level. And in the last 10 years, you know, that threshold has been lowered quite significantly, right? So, so in 2013, it used to be uh, 15 nanograms per milliliter. Uh, now, you know, you could consume cannabis and so long as the urine concentration of the cannabis doesn't exceed 150 nanograms per milliliter, you will not have committed an offence under WADA rules. Uh, and that also extends, you know, to the sort of sanctions that WADA meets out, you know, for, for use of cannabis or rather cannabis use that is detected in competition, you know, so long as, you know, you can show that the cannabis use was outside of competition and not meant to enhance your sporting performance, you know, the sanctions have been reduced from previously what could be two to even four years, right, to now between one to four months. Right. So I think when, when you look at it closely, my sense is that, you know, the, the attitude towards cannabis, because it's seen as a soft or recreational drug, you know, that perhaps, you know, Wada takes the view that, you know, we, that we need not apply such heavy sanctions and we, sh and we should allow a more liberal use. And we shouldn't be surprised, you know, if, if there, are, there is pressure on Wada uh, to take cannabis off the prohibited substance list. Uh, and, and and when that happens, you know, I think that's gonna that's gonna be even the divergence, you know, will be complete. Uh, you know, you know. In fact, I would say that there'll be a chasm, right? You know, between WADA rules on cannabis and Singapore's uh, MDA on cannabis. And speaking of you know, potentially WADA caving into pressure to pull cannabis or THC off the list, now assuming that, as you mentioned, Singapore, let's say, we still references WADA in its approach, do you feel that there might come a time when? Singapore actually can't take action on this ground against athletes who test positive for that. Yes, so so the the authorities can certainly still take action under the Misuse of Drugs Act, right? But if Sport SG were to say, well, we're going to take reference, you know, to how WADA would have dealt with these athletes, then that's a non-starter to begin with because, you know, the WADA rules are, are, are so different from Singapore, right? And, and if we take the, the, the case, for example, if they were to take cannabis off uh, the prohibited substance list, um, you know, then it means that even if athletes were to, were, were to consume them, uh, Singapore and even Singapore's anti-doping agency, you know, which, which is uh, an independent body that looks at the use of prohibited substances in sports, uh, they too wouldn't be able to, to sanction them. You know? And I think that that's really a disconnect. Right? You know? So the only way that we could deal with them is through these athletes' agreement you know, which doesn't really deal with the nub of the issue, right? You know, which is the, the use of prohibited substances, controlled drugs, you know, which is against the law uh, in Singapore. So that's something which I think, 
you know, we must increasingly bear in mind. I mean, I know that, you know, WADA is an international body, right? Um, but we must also look to see, you know, whether international benchmarks, international standards, you know, whether they are relevant and applicable to Singapore, you know, and if they are not, you know, then we shouldn't hesitate to apply local rules, local norms, local practices. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's continue the conversation with my guest. And you've mentioned these um, changing attitudes towards drug consumption. It does seem to me that the younger generation of Singaporeans are more accepting of it. So if we look at CNB's 2021 drug situation report, it showed that annually about one-third of arrested drug abusers were first-time offenders. And among these new drug abusers, about 60% were under 30 years old. Do you think that, taking into account these changing attitudes, Singapore should take a differentiated approach to hard drugs and so-called, as you mentioned, soft or recreational drugs? I think we already are taking a differentiated approach, right? So if you think about, uh, you know, the laws that were amended in recent years, you know, to deal with people who are just pure drug abusers, right? So there they are no other criminal activity associated with their drug consumption. And it relates to drugs like cannabis. You know, they are treated differently, right, from people who uh, might consume harder drugs like heroin uh, or cocaine. You know, but I think there is a limit to how far we can differentiate. And I think cannabis, you know, causes particularly tricky issues, right? Because cannabis is is also now, uh, there, there is medicinal use of cannabis. And I think that's where sometimes people get the mistaken idea, um, you know, that if it can be used for medicinal purposes, you know, what's so problematic about it? And it doesn't help, you know, that that the common use of names like soft drugs, recreational drugs, uh, you know, tend to give the effect that these drugs are relatively harmless, you know, and, and that it's really for kicks. But I think, you know, there are enough studies, you know, that show that uh, cannabis is a gateway drug, you know, meaning that it lowers, uh, you know, the, the tolerance to consuming harder substances. So I think, you know, much as I agree that, you know, we need to treat pure drug abusers differently from drug traffickers and all. But we must be careful not to give, you know, the idea, the impression, um, you know, that cannabis is relatively harmless. I, I think, you know, when you look at, you know, the, the global influence, you know, it seems to point towards that direction, you know, that cannabis, well, you know, we shouldn't take such a, a strong stand on it, you know, it's, it's relatively harmless. But I think, you know, we need to bear in mind that uh, once we put ourselves on a slippery slope, we are in danger. And, and I think the statistics that you have just mentioned, those are worrying statistics in themselves, right? You know, so we might actually be witnessing a generational shift in terms of attitudes, you know, towards soft and recreational drugs. I, I don't like to use those terms, right? Because again, you know, we, we might be reinforcing the impression that these drugs are relatively harmless. Um, you know, but more young people, you know, more first-time offenders being young people, I think that's something that we, we need to bear in mind. And given what's happening in the region, you know, with Thailand, you know, liberalising the use of cannabis and all, you know, in, even in everyday food and all, I think that's something that, you know, we need to, 
to keep in mind. And, you know, and so I know increasingly we will we'll be sticking out like sore thumbs, right? But I think so long as we are convinced, uh, you know, we are and we have scientific evidence, you know, to back our case that, you know, a more liberal approach towards cannabis is dangerous, you know, then I think, you know, we must continue. And I think to be fair, you know, there are no indications, you know, that we are softening our stance, you know. So so sometimes people take the view that if you want to adopt a rehabilitative approach towards pure drug abusers, um, you know, then, you know, we, we shouldn't take such a harsh stance, you know, for example, towards cannabis. I, I think that's actually missing the point. You know, I think you can take a rehabilitative approach uh, at the same time, you know, adopting a zero-tolerance approach, you know, even to soft or recreational drugs. Speaking of sticking out like a sore thumb, I mean, as you mentioned, the, the trend seems to bend towards loosening up. Thailand became the first country in Asia to decriminalise cannabis nationwide. Legally speaking, I mean, if there's further slackening, you know, in the stance of countries around us, do you foresee it actually being harder for Singapore to hold its ground? It is in a sense that, you know, citizens and permanent residents, you know, would argue, look, you know, there's this global trend. Um, you know, it, it is all that towards decriminalizing the use of cannabis. But that doesn't mean that, you know, we have to go along with the crowd. Uh, you know, I think they often say there's wisdom in the crowd, but sometimes, you know, I would say that there is folly, you know, in, in, in following um, the, the masses. Right? I think so long as our position is backed by scientific evidence, right? It's backed by statistics, you know, such as the use of cannabis locally, then I think, you know, we must remain steadfast. But it also means that we, we probably need to re-examine how we conduct our public education, you know, how, how do we shape public attitudes, you know, you know such that they will recognise, um, you know, the danger of so-called soft or recreational drugs. So, so I think, you know, even as we look more and more, you know, to be like sore thumbs, I think, we, you know, we must, in a way, take pride, uh, you know, that we don't just bend to the wind, um, you know, that we do so out of a principled position. Uh, and, and when you say principled position, you know, that means recognising, you know, the scientific evidence, you know, the, the, the medical research that has been done, and, and then, you know, revamping our public education efforts, you know, to, to ensure that people are adequately informed. I think there's a fair amount of misinformation as well as disinformation relating to, to the use of cannabis or, or cannabis as, as a drug or, or, as a, or for medicinal purposes. Uh, and it just means that, you know, we need to be one step ahead. You know, we need to be even more... Uh, innovative and dynamic, you know, in how we engage, uh, you know, the, the the prevailing social thoughts, you know, on, on, on cannabis. So in addition to public education, which is obviously very important, but would it also require doubling down on existing legislation or amending it in any way, if you had the choice of amending or changing? So, Grace, I, I think you need a, a multi-pronged approach, right? So public ed education is important. Legislation, uh, I think if you look at the MDA, you know, it has been regularly amended, right? Adding new substances because people who, who develop this uh, addictive drugs, you know, they come up with new, uh, new formulas, you know, and, and so the legislation obviously uh, needs to keep up. But I, I wouldn't back down, let's say, on the need for extraterritoriality, right? The, you know, that our laws must have that extraterritorial reach. 
and that you know we must continue with the rehabilitative approach, uh, particularly when they relate to to drugs which are such as cannabis and and there are no other criminal activity involved uh, you know with drug consumption. I think those are two uh, you know important. Uh, stays and, and of course, you know the the one that Singapore gets a lot of flack for the use of death penalty, right, for uh, drug trafficking, you know, beyond threshold amounts for the different types of drugs. I think that's something that that, that we we need to do because we need to f- to continue re- adopt that that zero tolerance approach, right? I, I think the moment we we become lax or the moment we we are seen to be taking it a bit easy. And I think that's as good as opening the floodgates. And I think we also need to persevere, right, you know, with the drug prevention, the harm prevention approach, you know. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of movement towards, you know, a harm reduction, right? But I see harm reduction more often than not as a sort of a cop-out, um, you know, because I think harm reduction lowers your tolerance, uh, you know, and, and so you keep reducing, uh, you know, the, 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 you keep trivializing the harm, and that makes any drug policy, you know, effectively useless. Uh, so I know our stance is pretty tough, but I think when when we are guided by what is good for society, right? What is good for the individual, and you know, and recognizing, you know, the 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 unique context that we're in, right? We are in a region where drugs are relatively plentiful. You know, many drug pr- production centers are here. The movement of drugs takes place, you know, within Singapore, through Singapore, because of the travel hub that we are. Um, you know that that we must recognize, uh, you know, our unique circumstances. And by and large, you know, people tend to forget, you know, that our drug approach, our drug policy, our drug laws, have worked well. You know, the number of drug abusers have gone down over the years, uh, and I think we don't give enough credit to that. You know, we we just tend to say, oh, this is what other countries are doing, you know, but without recognising that our approach has worked for us. And I think the evidence out there, you know, for decriminalising, you know, the use of soft and recreational drugs have been rather mixed, you know, and, and this is borne out by reports from the uh, UN Office of Drugs and Crime, um, you know, that uh, as well as uh, WHO, you know, that, that there's no such thing as uh, soft and recreational drugs and that uh, decriminalising its use, you know, doesn't result in better control. And on that note about an evidence-based approach and holding that thought about what's good for societies and the individual, thank you, Prof, for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap for In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Grace Ho. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles or check out the opinion section of The Straits Times, we have links in our podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.